Good morning, Nashville. My name is Braden Gall, and this is the 444 Friday, December 18th. Today on the show, we will dive into all of the possible college football playoff scenarios. I have a message for all Heisman Trophy voters, but we begin with the Titans and Lions matchup on Sunday. Much like last week against Jacksonville, there really aren't any excuses for the Titans this weekend. The Lions are one of the worst rushing defenses in the NFL, more on that in a second, are likely going to be without their best player and starting quarterback, Matthew Stafford, and the Titans are a double-digit favorite in their final home game of the season while fighting for a division championship. As we've noted all year, and as the NFL tends to do, this team can make fools out of all of us very easily. But only if the Titans choose to get cute. Arthur Smith wasn't cute last weekend. Right out of the gate, he turned around and leaned on his best player in the first half, allowing Derrick Henry to stomp out any hope that the Jaguars had of winning, basically by halftime. This should be the approach again this weekend. You can worry about the fourth year of Henry's contract three years from now. You can worry about the Titans' third-down defense and lack of pass rush against the Chiefs when and if that matchup in the AFC playoffs takes place. You can worry about the kicking game in bad outdoor weather in January when we come to that bridge. None of those things should be in play this weekend. The Lions are missing half a dozen starters off a defense that has allowed at least 370 yards of offense in every single game it's played since Week 8 and has been gashed by the league's best running backs. Dalvin Cook, the guy chasing Henry for the NFL's rushing title, and the Minnesota Vikings rushed for 275 yards against Detroit last month. Green Bay and Aaron Jones rushed for 379 yards in two matchups against the Lions this year, and hell, the Bears just went for a buck 40 against this defense two weeks ago. No, by the way, no team in the NFL has allowed more rushing touchdowns than the Detroit Lions. You're at home. You're facing, at best, a very unhealthy Matt Stafford, and at worst, Chase Daniel, you're a 10.5-point favorite, and you cannot afford a misstep with the Colts breathing down your neck in the division. Again, I understand this is oversimplifying so many different aspects of a very complex sport, but this just isn't a game you can afford to get cute with. Derrick Henry is going for his second consecutive NFL rushing title, and the Lions are the 29th-rated rushing defense, just a few yards better than lowly Jacksonville, who, if you'll remember, allowed 170 yards to Derrick Henry in the first half last week. Don't mess around, Art. Just run the damn ball. After waiting for years and yapping about it for about the same amount of time, talks between the city and the Tennessee Titans about a massive stadium renovation are well underway, according to a report from the Tennessean on Thursday evening. This should not be a surprise to anyone, as both Amy Adams Strunk and the city have been on the record about trying to figure out what the next edition of Nissan Stadium will look like, in particular as we target trying to attract the World Cup in 2026. As I have been saying for years, the most logical step from an economic development standpoint is to somehow creatively extend the downtown entertainment district across the river to the east bank of the Cumberland. While we have very few details yet, just the idea that we are finally getting some public information about what, where, when, and most importantly, how much this project will cost should be extremely exciting for not just Titans fans, but for all Nashvillians. If you want to go deep into the weeds on the future plans for Nissan Stadium and how maybe baseball even fits into this equation, check out the latest episode of Lamestream Sports featuring Tennessee Lookout reporter Nate Rao. He will give you every detail you could possibly need to understand how Metro governments and sports franchises go about building and renovating their very pricey sports venues. Rate, review, and subscribe. I'm going to go ahead and apologize up front because this won't even be close to a humble brag. This is just a good old-fashioned regular in-your-face brag. 
I got my Heisman Trophy ballot information on Monday of this week. As voters, we are not allowed to officially rank or talk about who we are going to or did vote for until the actual ceremony takes place next Saturday. But I can talk about the process. We got our ballots on Monday of this week. From that point on, you can vote until 4 p.m. Central Time next Monday, after which your vote is on lockdown, quarantined if you will, and cannot be discussed publicly until after the awards ceremony next Saturday. In all of the years I've voted for the coolest award in all of sports, something I take incredibly seriously, I have never cast my ballot before the season was over, and I do not think any voter should ever do so. And this year, that is even more important than ever. The numbers used to be far worse, but around 90% of the ballots are cast after the season is over, meaning that about 10% of the electorate didn't wait to see Championship Saturday play out. Now, some years this might be okay. If you voted for Joe Burrow before the SEC title game last year, I probably wouldn't kill you for it. But on principle, every single voter should wait until after every single game has been played so that they can make the most informed decision possible. And this year, it could not be more important to wait and see every game. As of Thursday evening, Heisman odds were as follows. Mac Jones is your favorite at minus 155. Devontae Smith plus 150. Kyle Trask plus 450. Trevor Lawrence plus 2,000. Ian Book plus 2,400. And Justin Fields plus 5,000. Which means if Kyle Trask in Florida upsets Alabama or Ian Book in Notre Dame upsets Clemson, you could make a very strong case for both to win the award. Lawrence is almost unfairly discounted despite his unbelievable win-loss record, his absurd talent, and elite statistical production. Smith is an elite player, but a wide receiver has only won the award three times in history, and not since Desmond Howard did it in 1991. Mac Jones, the frontrunner, is a great player, but has the benefit of playing on the best team with the best supporting cast, and Justin Fields is likely the most valuable considering what is behind him at Ohio State and what they've been through, frankly. This is by far the hardest decision I can remember having to make on my Heisman ballot. I struggled greatly with the Tua versus Kyler Murray discussion and eventually went with Murray. I struggled with Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson, but felt pretty strongly that Deshaun Watson was the best player. Although Lamar Jackson was clearly a very deserving candidate, I still to this day think Deshaun Watson's a better player. And while those were tough decisions, I knew I had two extremely solid candidates who were head and shoulders above the rest of college football to pick from and really couldn't go wrong with either choice. This year, I have no clue. I may have Florida tight end Kyle Pitts on my ballot because I think he is the most dynamic and uncoverable weapon any team in America has this year. I am grateful that we have a lot of big games this weekend to help us decide, and I am hopeful that all ballots will be cast after Saturday because if I had to vote today, I have no freaking clue who I'd put down at number one. The college football playoff rankings will be finalized on Sunday at 11 a.m. Central Time. And here's how every team can get into the, let's call it the little dance or the mini dance, if you will. If Alabama beats Florida as expected, they are clearly in and will be the number one seed. If Notre Dame beats Clemson a second time, then the Irish will get in as the number two seed and a two-loss Clemson is out. Conversely, if number three Clemson gets revenge and beats the Irish, they would likely jump to the number two spot. If Ohio State beats Northwestern, they would probably lock up a spot as well with at least one team ahead of them guaranteed to lose. So the Buckeyes are in with a win. So as it stands right now, the top four, for lack of a better cliche, control their own destiny this weekend. If Alabama loses, the Tide are still probably locked into a spot considering the team the committee would compare them to, Texas A&M, lost by four touchdowns in the head-to-head meeting earlier this year. So how can the Aggies get in? 
Should Northwestern beat Ohio State, that would knock the Buckeyes out and likely the Ags would take their spot. Should Notre Dame beat Clemson, the Tigers are out and Texas A&M likely takes their spot as well. So folks in Texas are rooting hard for the nerds in the Midwest this weekend. Even with chaos and a win over Alabama, I just don't know if there's a path for the Florida Gators to get in. The committee would have to weigh the Gators' SEC championship and win over Alabama, along with their two losses, against Texas A&M's one-loss record and head-to-head win over Florida. As a reminder, no two-loss team has ever made it into the playoff, but plenty of one-loss second-place teams have. How do the Volunteers figure into all of this? Well, if Tennessee somehow beats Texas A&M and Northwestern beats Ohio State and Notre Dame beats Clemson, all of which would be rather large upsets, and then Florida beats Alabama, maybe, just maybe, the Gators could get in and make history as the first two-loss team to make the college football playoff. That would require not only an absurd amount of chaos, but also Florida would have to somehow stop Alabama's offensive line from mutilating their defensive front. Now, I think Florida will play inspired football in the SEC championship game, and I think that Kyle Trask and company will be able to score on Alabama, but I simply don't see anyone beating the Tide right now because of how they can play offense, which is basically any way you want them to. I do not see a path for the Big 12 or the Pac-12 or Group of Five champions to get in, so we really are down to five teams for four spots. After all of that, I think the top four we've got right now, Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, and Ohio State, will be the four we end up with on Sunday, making the committee's job a fairly easy proposition. All four would be worthy, three of which we picked to make the playoff back in May when preseason magazines came out. So while it may give us some killer games, and all four teams do seem deserving, yet another year of the exact same teams does force us to consider some questions about how to create more equity, and balance in the game of college football. And that, my friends, is a significantly more difficult proposition. So we took the kids to Jingle Beat at the fairgrounds last night, and I was going to do a review for you guys. In that review, I could say that we love the music, all modern hip-hop twists on old favorites. I could say that the light show was exceptionally staged, like an international rock concert coming through town. And also that the line to get in was a little bit long and took a few extra minutes, so plan accordingly. Uh, But that overall, it was a pretty damn cool experience. Or we could just ask the experts. Four very tiny thumbs up from the girls, folks, that is for sure, and the wife enjoyed herself from the comfort of her heated seat, very bougie of her. Anyway, it's a pretty slick event, super efficient once you're inside, and the kids have obviously told you how much they enjoyed it. Jingle Beat is at the fairgrounds now until December 31st. EAMotion.com is the website for more information. Take the kids, I promise you, they'll have a good time. That just about does it for this week, folks. We do appreciate you hanging out with us again here on 440 Sports. Got a great episode of Lamestream Sports with Nate Rao. Obviously, Hal Gill on the Gold Standard. Talked to a ton of Gus Malzahn on Fringe Element, so please check out all the shows from the network and just share the show with somebody. Just tell one person about your favorite show. I would be forever in your debt. Thank you all for listening. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Have a great weekend. Enjoy some football. Have a cocktail. This has been the 440 for Friday, December 18th. The 440 is a production of 440 Media, written and produced by Braden Gall, music by William Tyler. Music by William Tyler.